Al Jazeera podcast. It is the year 2065, and nature has been given the same rights that humans and corporations enjoy in the 2020s. A climate refugee kills an animal for food. The defendant was eating the victim. And a reluctant lawyer is assigned his case. They have you personally pinned for an act of extinction. Since when is feeding your family a crime? The Last Impala, Unnecessary Tomorrows, a new podcast by Doha Debates and Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. It's the latest direct attack by Israeli forces on media workers. Al Jazeera journalist Hamza al-Dahdou had a colleague killed in an Israeli airstrike on Hamza's car. Israel has killed more journalists in three months than those who died in World War II or the Vietnam War. So what's been the reaction of the world's media? Hello, I'm Adrian Finnegan, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help to define major global stories. All right, let's bring in our guests for today's discussion. From London, we're joined by Tim Dawson, Deputy Secretary General of the International Federation of Journalists. In Amman is Ali Abunima, who is the founder of the Electronic Intifada. And from New York, we're joined by Jody Ginsburg, who is president of the Committee to Protect Journalists. A warm welcome to you all. Tim, let's start with you. Why aren't Western journalists, unions and media organizations showing more solidarity with Palestinian journalists walking in Gaza, many of whom, as we heard, are paid with their lives while doing their jobs. You heard him there just a few moments ago reporting from Gaza. These people are heroes. Surely they should be lauded as such. I, I completely agree with you, and I do think that attitudes are changing. Clearly, as this conflict started, there are people whose default sympathies would be to the Palestinians or with the Israelis. Um, but as, as the conflict has continued, and particularly as the mortality rate, as the death toll of journalists has mounted up and up and up, people have increasingly come to realise that something truly terrible is happening here. Um, I, actually, among journalists' organisations in the United States, in the United Kingdom and all, all over Europe, there has been significant support for uh, journalists in Palestine, and funds have been channelled through the Palestinian journalist syndicates, the the, the union that represents journalists in, in Palestine. So I think their unions and organizations have perhaps been a little ahead of the media within uh, m many Western countries, but I think that's changing. The Washington Post recently ran a very important piece, I thought, highlighting just how monstrously Palestinian journalists were being treated, and I don't think it'll be the last. Why, Tim, is, is that not reflected more widely, then? You say about the, the, the New York Times there, you say attitudes are changing, but these people as the nation put it, embody the most exalted ideals of our craft, operating through unimaginable pain, danger and trauma to perform that most basic and essential function of journalism, i.e. telling us what is happening in a place that we cannot access ourselves. Well, I agree with that sentiment entirely. I think, I think the issue has been that the horror of what has happened in Gaza across the board, the 20-odd the thousand people who've lost their lives, has been, you know, it's hard for people to take in. It's hard for people to calculate what that kind of death toll means. And it's only when you start considering the journalists as a proportion of the thousand or so journalists that started out there that you get some idea of just how extraordinarily terrible has been the price that they've paid. They've died at something like three times, four times the rate of health workers, for example, five times the rate of teachers. It's only when you, when you look at that that you start to realise the full horror of what has happened. 
I'm going to come to Ali in just a moment. Uh, bear with me, Ali. I, I want to speak to Jody first. Jody, um, a Palestinian journalists somehow seen as second class by journalists in the West, not up to the correct standard by Western uh, media organizations. They're citizen journalists. They're insiders, we hear. Um, is the Western media prejudiced, you think, in its view of Palestinian journalists? I'm not sure whether it's prejudiced in its view of Palestinian journalists, but I think what is true is that traditionally, um, in some parts of the media, but not just the media, perhaps the, the journalists who come in to report on wars, those who are parachuted in from elsewhere, are somehow seen as kind of more legitimate than the local journalists. And I think what we don't talk about enough is the fact that Palestinian journalists are the only people who are able to report on this war. No one else is getting in. And these are not people who have necessarily trained as war correspondents. They are people to whom war has come. They I, have I, become Jody, war correspondents. Jody, why, 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 aren't, why aren't they getting in? It's because Israel will not allow them in because it wants to control the narrative. Neither Israel nor Egypt is allowing journalists in, and absolutely, certainly those journalists who have been allowed in have all been permitted to go in through Israel and have had to effectively embed with the Israeli army and only go on a very sort of curated tour of the country. So, yes, absolutely, that's why no-one else is getting in to cover this. Are Western media organisations, Jody? afraid of being accused of anti-Semitism if they stand up and speak out in support of Palestinian journalists? Are they afraid that they're, they're going to be accused of taking sides? Well, as Tim said, we have seen Western media organisations stand up and support. We had a, an advert in The Washington Post very recently, for example. But yes, I think absolutely what we've seen in this war is that people have been frightened to speak out, even simply to state facts for having and, and and therefore being accused of anti-Semitism and taking sides. And that's certainly true, not just of the media, but more broadly. Ali, what do you make of what you've heard so far? I largely agree. This is a long-standing problem. The first thing I want to say, of course, is to you and your colleagues at Al Jazeera to offer my condolences for the murder of Hamza Dahdouh uh, and, of course, for Mustafa Thuraya. Only the latest of Al Jazeera's journalists to be targeted and murdered by Israel. And I think that's a point that has to be made. This is clearly deliberate. Uh, Israel is not only targeting the journalists themselves, but their families. It's exterminating their families as revenge for them going out and doing their jobs. And I would say that the general, while I'm glad to hear that there's more solidarity now, in general, there has been really quite a deafening silence. And when you compare that to the fuss that's made when a Western journalist, uh, for example, that Washington, uh, that Wall Street Journal journalist who's arrested in who's arrested in Russia, the fuss that's made in the West, you hear about it night and day on NPR, on CNN, in the New York Times, in the Washington Post. And here we are reduced to celebrating a single article in the Washington Post as if that is enough attention for more than 100 journalists targeted and murdered by the United States and Israel. And I say that very deliberately because none of this would be going on without the decision in the White House of the United States to assist Israel to murder these journalists. And so we need to see international 
journalists, organizations, and individual journalists uh, raising this instead of the the uh, display of kowtowing we always see at the White House. Uh, uh, press conferences. We need to see journalists there standing up for their colleagues who are being murdered in Gaza. And let me tell you that uh, yesterday in Qatar, uh, when uh, Antony Blinken, the UN sec U.S. Secretary of State, was standing next to the Prime Minister of Qatar, and he was asked about the murder of uh, Hamza Dahdur, he said, oh, I'm deeply, deeply sorry, and wrung his hands as if, the, as if Hamza Dahdur and all the other journalists had died of some um, natural disaster or misfortune instead of being murdered with the weapons that Antony Blinken is bypassing Congress in order to make sure that Israel has. And contrast that with his comments in March of 2022, when there were allegations that Russia was targeting journalists in Ukraine, and we got this grave lecture from Antony Blinken about the sanctity of the work of journalists and how targeting journalists would be a war crime. It's absolutely disgraceful and horrifying. And for too long, Palestinian journalists have been second-class citizens. They are the so-called stringers who do the hard work, whose, whose lives are exposed to, to real danger, and uh, they are lucky to get uh, a second or third place on the byline or simply a note at the bottom, while it is the, uh, the American and European parachutists, as one of your other guests called them, who get all uh, okay. the glory. But nobody knows Gaza better than the Palestinian journalists, and no one is more objective about the reality there than they are. Ali, I'll come back to you in just a moment. Tim, um, uh, uh, do you want to pick up on that? Are, are Western journalists running scared of their governments and pro-Israeli politicians in their muted, their so far muted support of Palestinian journalists, in, in spite uh, of, uh, of the tide of public opinion, it seems, turning against Israel's actions in Gaza? Well, I, I think I would distinguish between the actions of news platforms uh, who make editorial decisions based on their own editorial outlook. I'm, I'm not for a moment saying that one article in The Washington Post is sufficient. I'm saying that it's a, a, a useful sign of attitudes changing. I actually believe that journalists, organisations and unions have, from the 8th of October, been working to support journalists in Palestine uh, in both practical and in, in, in moral ways. We signed a letter uh, in the second week of the conflict, 80 different national journalist associations and unions from around the world calling on greater protections for Gazan journalists. We have raised significant sums of money. I know that, um, that, that the CPJ has also been very generous with, with journalists' organisations. So I, I think the accusation of those people who represent journalists as having fallen short in terms of their, uh, their, their support for journalists in Gaza is, is slightly wide of the mark. I think in terms of the news platforms, there's no question that many of them come from political or ideological positions, which lends them, you know, to, to, to by default support uh, Western powers, and particularly the United States. But I sense that that's changing, and I think we should be encouraging them to change. I think we should be encouraging everybody to look really closely at what's happening in Gaza. I think we should, we should be asking questions of the Israeli government and the IDF. We should be saying, when a country has highly sophisticated, uh, artificially intelligence technologies to track individuals geographically and by their movements around a place, and they have telephone surveillance systems that are more sophisticated than any other in the world that allow them to track individuals, and quite so many journalists are being killed, 
what, what exactly are these robots being allowed to do? How can it be that the mortality rate is so high when the targeting is apparently so sophisticated? And I think the more of us who turn our attention to calling on the IDF to display their technologies, to publish their terms of conduct, combat for their soldiers, and to show how they're being enforced, the, more, the, the sooner that will happen. OK. Uh, Jody, the Committee to Protect Journalists says that a deadly pattern that began with the killing of my colleague Shireen Abu Akleh last year has become clear. Journalists like Al Jazeera's Y.L. Dachtoud are being deliberately targeted by Israel and others have received threats from the Israeli military to cease their work. I mean, under international law, these are, these are crimes. These are war crimes. Why hasn't there been more of an outcry about this in the Western media? Well, when you talk about a deadly pattern, actually, it's a pattern that goes back, unfortunately, well before the killing of Shireen al-Bouakli. Our report that was published in May, so before the current war, found that over the past 22 years, 20 journalists had been killed by the Israeli army and no one had ever been held accountable. And that's a, a pattern that we're seeing. And to Tim's point, what we really need to understand and, and interrogate is how it is that so many journalists are being killed when we understand that the Israeli army has all of this precision weaponry, which much of which uh, is being provided by the United States. And, and as you say, if it is the case that Israel is deliberately targeting journalists, that would be a war crime. And, and it is extremely concerning to us that we see this apparent pattern of journalists, including Al Jazeera journalists, being killed by Israeli forces uh, and, and no accountability at all. Ali, Israel claims not to be targeting journalists. That's clearly not the case. Um, it is committing war crimes. What threat do journalists like Wael Dachrud pose to Israel? Why is it going to such lengths to silence people like him and others? Well, if I can just say before addressing that, the, the fact that Israel has all this tracking technology and it can track individuals through their phones and so on is precisely how it's killing journalists. I mean, the, it's not using these technologies to avoid killing journalists. It's using them to kill journalists. And that's, uh, you know, I, I know of people in Gaza who... You you can't know if they're dead or alive because they won't go near a telephone for fear that that phone will be used to track them and kill them. That's the point it's gotten to. Uh, but what what is the fear that Israel has of Wael Dahdouh and all the other journalists is that they're exposing the genocide. This is a genocide. And uh, it's a genocide being conducted in front of the whole world where we don't need to guess at the intentions of Israel because the Israeli leaders at every level are proud of uh, talking about uh, uh, exterminating the so-called human animals and human beasts uh, and talking about how there are no, the president of Israel said there are no civilians in Gaza. The military spokesperson said that, uh, that uh, uh, you know, they were focusing on damage rather than than precision. And we had, uh, we'll recall a few weeks ago, uh, the situation where Israel even said that it was going to uh, target and kill openly. I mean, it's doing it anyway, but they said openly that they would be targeting and killing journalists who had filmed events on October 7th. So uh, 
the the threat that journalists uh, present to Israel is they expose the truth of this genocide, this genocide organized, planned, and executed by the White House and the its client regime in Tel Aviv. Uh, Ali, briefly, before we, we go back to, to Tim uh, and, and Jody, just tell us about the work of the electronic intifada journalists in, in Gaza, the, the, the pressure that they're working under right now. Yeah. Yes, we are uh, an independent publication, a news publication, and we work, we've worked for years with freelance journalists and photographers in Gaza, videographers, and we've continued to do our best to support them uh, in Gaza during this time. And uh, since October 7th, four of our writers have been killed. Rifat al-Ar'ir, Ra'id Qaddura, Muhammad Hammo, and Hudal Susi, and another one of our writers was attacked and his son was killed. And almost all of uh, our writers and contributors are displaced. All of them have lost multiple family members. And I marvel at their dedication to continue to report what is coming out of Gaza. I don't know that I would have the, the, the sort of courage and the sort of dedication that the journalists in Gaza have right now. They are truly heroes. They are the finest among us, and I cannot say enough about how much admiration I have for all of them. Tim, as I said at the beginning of the, the program, and Ali has just said, these people are heroes and should be lauded as such. What would media coverage of what's happening in Gaza be like without these people? We just simply wouldn't know what was going on, would we? We would have no idea, no. Um, and, 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 I mean, it, it's quite hard to get your head around just what privations they're going through to bring us the news. Uh, there is very little food in Gaza, so most are, are very hungry. There is very little water. There is almost no fuel, so most of them are walking to assignments, often carrying heavy equipment on their shoulders for many miles, simply to try and record the news. I, I, I was speaking with a, a, a Gazan journalist the other day who said to me, you know, there isn't a square inch of Gaza where there isn't a story to be told, and we're determined to tell absolutely all of them. And, you know, that's clearly what they're doing at great personal cost. I mean, quite apart from the danger of being shot or maimed, simply continuing working three months in with almost no food. Almost all have lost their homes, so they're living in tented accommodation, which in many cases they've now had to move two or three times. Tents are in very short supply. Sleeping bags are in very short supply. If we were able to, we would ship them through the through the Rafa crossing to at least provide the most basic accommodation. But that hasn't thus far been possible. Believe you me, we are trying daily. So these are people doing their jobs under the hardest imaginable conditions. Jody, do you want to pick up on, on, on what both Tim and Ali have been saying? Well, absolutely. We would have nothing if it weren't for those. It, a lot of the documentation work is now being taken on by journalists because we've also lost so many aid workers and others who often take on some of this documentation work too. So we are entirely reliant on these journalists to be our eyes and ears, to bring us the information and the images of what's happening. And 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 it's unimaginable to think that they can still be doing this three months into the war. If you think that quite often if in in War correspondents will be cycled in and out. They might go in for a month and come out for a month if they're being brought in by international organizations. These people are day in, uh, day out. Your colleague, Well Dachdour, I saw this morning uh, up and reporting. I, I cannot even imagine what it takes to have seen so many of your family members killed, um, your son also a journalist killed, and to be able to get up the next day and report because it is that important to bring the information to make the world see what is happening 
in Gaza and we are reliant on journalists to do that work. Ali, how much longer can journalists in Gaza keep doing this work? Many of the most prominent of them have already been forced to take a step back due to concerns that they risk their own and their families' safety. I'm amazed at how they've continued doing what they do for this long. And that goes for everyone in Gaza, whether it's medical workers, whether it's simply people trying to care for their loved ones to get them food every day. I mean, think of, I think, think about how uh, exhausting this is for those of us who are not in Gaza, but who are following it closely, who, are, who have friends and loved ones there. And then multiply that by a million for those who are in Gaza who have no way, there's no respite. There's no way to take a break. There's no way to take a break from the hunger, from the cold, from the fear, uh, from the uh, fear for your loved ones who you can't see because either you're separated from them geographically or as Hindel Khudari said, uh, journalists are reluctant to be with their families because they're afraid they will be targeted and their families will be killed along with them. Imagine the dedication it takes to be away from your parents or your grandparents or your children or your partner just because you're dedicated to bringing the news to the world and feeling you have that duty to your people and humanity to sacrifice yourself and your own well-being and even that of your family in order to make sure that the world can see this genocide and can never say, we didn't know. And, so, and for all those hypocrites who lecture us again, again, never again, never again, who are supporting this genocide, the, the, the European governments in the United States, the ones that cry the loudest about never again and learning the lessons of history, are the ones openly perpetrating another Holocaust in Gaza. And they are also trying to murder the world's eyes and ears who are reporting on this genocide, who are the journalists. I don't have enough words to convey my anger, my disgust, and my horror at what we're witnessing in real time. There, we must end our discussion. Many thanks indeed to you all, Tim Dawson, Ali Abunima, and Jody Gensberg. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Malagabe Motsepi, Veronica Petroza, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Fadzil Yahya. The program was edited by Ahmed Atfaga and Zaina Bada and Joda Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. And thanks for listening. Tune in again on Tuesday for our next edition. Coming up on The Take, in a new heyday of space exploration, who's in and who's out? That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.